This is the Discord Knife. Performed by Anna McDonald. Produced by Emily Moore. When she was 12, Maggie Bishop decided that the best way to die would be drowning. What the fuck had been her older brother's only response. Jesus, Mags, why are you thinking about this shit? Come help me carry in the groceries. Maggie never saw what the big deal was. Everybody died. And if she was being honest, she felt like she was drowning most days anyway, lost and sinking and suffocated. Her mom said it was just a phase. Her brother called it puberty. Her gut told her it was something more than teenage ennui. Death was a common discussion at school, especially amongst the girls. I'd like to go in my sleep, Riley always said when the topic came up. When I'm old, obviously. That would be the most peaceful. I hear you get really warm and sleepy right before you freeze to death. Gabby often responded. That doesn't sound terrible. From a young age on, Maggie could name the preferred death of every girl in her class. Rachel Pearson wanted carbon monoxide poisoning. Lana Dupree liked the idea of decapitation, however impractical. Monica Chavez wasn't sure, but she wanted it to be natural and painless, if that wasn't too much to ask. Any girl from the age of 10 on could tell you exactly how she wanted to die, and it varied from person to person. But their answers all had one thing in common. When I'm old, obviously, I want to die when I'm old. If it weren't her most often reoccurring dream, Maggie might have found her nightmare ominous, prescient even. As it was, however, the familiarity of it made it comforting in a way. Once she was awake, gasping for breath, drenched in cold sweat, the quickly fleeting memories of the dream were like ghosts, the whispers of something familiar lingering in her mind. Maggie shifted in bed, reluctant to leave the warmth of her blanket cocoon. She knew, logically, that her alarm would go off in a couple of minutes, and that she should get up and start getting ready. But a heavy, numb sense of dread weighed her down. Today was Lotto Day, and this year, for the first and only time, she had to care. Most years, Maggie was absolutely apathetic about Lotto Day. Lotto Day was the beginning of a week-long excuse for drama and gossip, and it was all pretty exhausting. But this year was different. This year, Maggie was eligible for the Lotto. She really needed to get up. 
She couldn't be the only girl looking less than her best on this most auspicious day. In the past, the lotto had been like going to church. A special event, one for which you dressed up in your nicest clothes, no matter how uncomfortable you felt. These days, old people grumbled at you when you didn't wear a skirt, but nobody really judged you unless you showed up in sweats. Maggie really wanted to show up in sweats just to see what would happen. Maybe they'd kick her out. She wouldn't mind that. Sunlight filtered through her window, and not for the first time, Maggie thought idly about running away. Boston was supposed to be nice this time of year, with its picturesque colonial autumn. She'd hop on a bus to Utica or Syracuse, catch the train to Boston, and disappear into the world. Don't be stupid, she muttered to herself as she sat up, kicking her covers to the floor. You'd just end up dead or homeless. Still half asleep, Maggie plugged her phone into its speakers and put on her Getting Ready playlist. The song that started playing was soft but upbeat, warbling voices and jaunty ukulele riffs. She pulled on a blouse and jeans, her last clean pair, and attempted to tame her wild red curls, but eventually just gave up and slapped on some makeup to keep her mother happy. When she finally arrived in the kitchen, the nervous atmosphere was tangible. The bacon Ma was cooking smelled burnt, and the twins wouldn't stop fidgeting. Her older brother, Chris, was notably absent. Oh honey, you're awake, Ma said, nearly smacking Matt with her frying pan as she whirled around. Cameron pulled him out of the way, just in time. You look nice! It was too early to deal with Ma's hysterical talk shouting. She wished Chris were there. Thanks, can I have some bacon? Of course, Ma came over, scooping a huge pile of bacon onto Maggie's plate. You want eggs too? Sure. Maggie reached for the orange juice carton and poured herself a glass. For once, Cameron and Matt didn't comment on how much sugar was actually in the juice or reenact their favorite orange juice commercial for the hundredth time. More than anything, their silence made Maggie nervous. Where's Chris? She asked, taking a bite out of the crisply burnt bacon. Matt and Cameron exchanged a look, and Ma busied herself with some dishes. Oh, out for a walk, she said, voice strained. You know how he feels about Lotto Day. Yeah, well, Maggie sipped at her juice. Don't you think this year he should suck it up and be here to support me? Chris was four years older than Maggie. He still lived at home, worked in construction, and thought Lotto Day was dumb. Well, not dumb. In his words, it was an abomination. Maggie thought he was possibly overreacting. It wasn't the town's fault that Katie volunteered her year. If anything, it was his fault for not knowing that she would. Ma sighed and started to say something, but was interrupted by the opening and slamming of the front door. She shook her head and returned to the dishes. 
When Chris stormed into the kitchen, he looked like he was about to punch something, and only stopped when he caught sight of Maggie. He forced himself to smile. Hey, shrimp. How are you feeling? Maggie shrugged. Nervous, I guess. I'd really rather not get picked. He clapped his hand on her shoulder, squeezing gently. Don't worry, you won't. Five bucks says Lauren Chapel volunteers. Maggie snorted. You're on. Lauren's not that fanatical. If anything, it's going to be Ginny Wheat. She's hardcore in love with Eltham. Chris rolled his eyes. Let's hope they don't duke it out for the honor, he said, bitterness soaking into his playful tone. Do people volunteer every year? Matt asked. At 13, he and Cameron had only attended the two previous lotto days, and, as boys, had never been given a reason to pay much attention until now. Nah, Maggie said, tapping nervously at the lip of her cup. In some towns they do. Like, they'll literally all volunteer before a name is drawn, and then have to fight it out somehow. She paused and grinned at Chris. I like to think they have a giant rock-paper-scissors tournaments to choose a volunteer. Chris shook his head with a laugh. No, most towns like that take the names of volunteers beforehand and create the lotto tickets from that list. He leaned in close, like he was going to tell them a secret. Though I did hear of a town that once had a fist fight between two girls trying to volunteer. The twins grinned in tandem. I'd pay money to see that, Cameron said with a laugh. Anything can happen, Chris said. The twins' faces lit up. Breakfast went pretty normally after that, all things considered. Maggie ate quickly and too much in an attempt to calm her nerves, and was feeling sluggish and full as the others raced to get ready. Ma cleaned up the kitchen in a frantic hurry. Chris was silent, face scrunched and stormy. Though her brother was several years older, Maggie and Chris had always been close. After his girlfriend, Katie, volunteered, he had never quite been the same, but he'd shown his love for his family with an unrivaled aggression. Now he was brooding, making this about himself, but Maggie couldn't really blame him. If he was the one being put up for the lottery, she would be scared too. They headed to the town square in silence. Maggie was an absolute wreck. After last night's nightmare, she was feeling jittery and on edge ready to bolt at the first sign of danger. Ma took her hand as they walked, and though only yesterday that would have embarrassed Maggie half to death, in this moment she held on tightly, struggling to take in deep, slow breaths. When they reached the town square, Maggie felt even more nervous than she'd initially anticipated. There had to be 20 or 30 girls her age in the village. The odds weren't bad and she'd been serious about Ginny Wheat. There was a whole clique of Eltham-obsessed girls at school. Surely one of them would volunteer. Maggie would be fine. As she had seen hundreds of other girls do throughout her life, Maggie separated herself from her family and headed to the front of the crowd, to the three rows of chairs that sat waiting for the lotto candidates. Mags! Riley and Gabby waved her over. 
They were clutching at each other's hands, nervously bouncing in their seats. I like your shirt, Gabby said, pulling Maggie down next to her. Are you nervous? I'm so nervous. I wonder who it'll be, Riley said, biting her lip. Think someone will volunteer? My money's on Jenny, Maggie said. Chris thinks it'll be Lauren Chapel. That's just because she reminds him of Katie, Gabby said. Jenny for sure. I don't know, Riley said. I heard she's applying to Brown early decision. For real? Gabby scoffed. She'll be lucky if she can get into SU. SU's a good school, Riley shot back. Maggie laughed, feeling more at ease as her friends bantered. Yeah, but it isn't Brown. And the point is, Riley continued, glaring at Gabby. If she was really planning on volunteering, she wouldn't have applied anywhere, E.D. Hmm. <laughs> Gabby shrugged. Surely someone from her little weirdo clique will volunteer. It's an honor, after all. It wasn't long until all the chairs were filled up. Twenty-nine teenage girls, all sitting ramrod straight and radiating anxiety. Some looked hopeful, others scared shitless. Maggie tried to keep calm, but couldn't help the knot that was twisting slowly in her gut. Gabby clutched her hand. And then Mayor Reese was standing in front of them, on the stage specially constructed for Lauderdale. Behind him, the high school marching band sat, waiting to play. Mayor Reese waved at his daughter cheerfully. She sat in the row in front of Maggie, looking like she was going to puke. After a moment of observing the crowd, the mayor began to speak. Good afternoon, ladies and gents, and welcome to the 213th Clark Lotto Day. I'd like to thank this year's sponsor, Petey's Southwest Grill, and remind everyone that burritos are only $5 on Mondays. Mayor Reese clapped enthusiastically. Somewhere near the back of the crowd, Maggie could hear the basketball team whooping and cheering. Boys. I'd also like to thank the 29 courageous young ladies sitting in front of me today, Mayor Reese continued, for doing their duty to protect our village. Let us all take a moment of silence in remembrance of the remarkable young women who came before. Everyone fell silent, even the basketball team. Gabby had her eyes shut tight, and Maggie thought she must be praying. After a moment, Mayor Reese clapped his hands again and grinned. Maggie wanted to punch his teeth out. Now, without further ado, let's begin. From the depths of the marching band came a drum roll. Mayor Reese's younger daughter came on stage, carrying an ornamental bowl. It held what looked like 29 tickets, one for each of them. So no one had volunteered ahead of time, but that was okay. Some people liked the drama of standing up just as the mayor was drawing out a ticket, claiming the honor as their own. Mayor Reese reached into the bowl and plucked out a ticket. He smiled and thanked his daughter, then looked out into the crowd, eyes scanning over every single girl 
whose name could be on the paper. Maggie's heart felt like it would beat straight out of her chest. Her throat burned, tears, bile, and time seemed to slow. The mayor unfolded the paper slowly. Maggie closed her eyes. Margaret Ann Bishop. The marching band burst to life, screeching out a loud off-key tune. The blood drained from Maggie's face. She was certain she was going to faint. Riley gasped. Gabby stood, pulling Maggie to her feet. Don't throw up, she whispered, leading Maggie towards the stage. You got this, Mags. I'm with you. You're okay. Don't pass out. Somewhere in the crowd, Ma screamed. As Gabby hoisted Maggie onto the stage, she could see Mary smiling, Riley crying, Ma on the ground with people crowding around her, Matt and Cameron frozen and pale, Chris. Chris was coming towards the stage, fire in his eyes, fists clenched, shouting. But this is what the police were here for, what they were used to. Chris was on the ground in seconds, pinned down by three cops. Maggie couldn't find her voice to tell him to calm down, to think about their family. She leaned into Gabby, trying desperately to look composed. Mayor Reese shook her hand, as jovial as ever. Maggie wondered idly if his cheer was practiced, or if he was just relieved that his own daughter hadn't been called. Miss Margaret, he said, clapping her on the back. What an honor. Maggie desperately scanned the faces of the other candidates. None of them met her eyes. Last chance to volunteer, she whispered. Only Gabby heard her and tightened her grip. Her hands were shaking. The band came to the end of their ditty and Maggie realized that no one was going to come forward. This was it. She was it. Mayor Reese raised his hands and announced, I present to you the 2017 Clark offering, Miss Margaret Bishop. Please give her a hand. The crowd applauded. The basketball team whooped and cheered as if they'd been handed free burritos. Riley was sobbing into her hands. Chris fought against the cops who pinned him down, but couldn't break free. Someone had propped up Ma's head with a purse still out cold. Matt and Cameron were crying now, but didn't move, couldn't move. This is it, Maggie thought. In seven days' time, I'll be gone. The marching band started up a new cheerful song. The crowd was still applauding. Maggie closed her eyes. What's going to happen to me? What lies beyond the fringe? The Discord Knife is written and performed by Anna McDonald and produced by Emily Moore. The theme music is by Ian Allen Mack. Links to his webpages in the show notes. You can find the written novel at thediscordknife.com, where we are currently several chapters ahead.
Follow us on Tumblr for the latest updates, outtakes, extras, and more. And thank you for listening.